ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so we've now reached the fourth hadith after having explained or briefly explained the previous three ahadith from the explanations of the scholars, we now move on to this fourth hadith. Anabi Abdir Rahman Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu qal Haddathana Rasulullahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa huwa sadiqul masduq إِنَّ أَحَدَكُمْ يُجْمَعُوا خَلْقُهُ فِي بَطْنِ أُمِّهِ أَرْبَعِينَ يَوْمًا نُطْفَةً ثُمَّ يَكُونُ عَلَقَةً مِثْلَ ذَلِكَ ثُمَّ يَكُونُ مُضْغَةً مِثْلَ ذَلِكَ ثُمَّ يُرْسَلُ إِلَيْهِ ثُمَّ يُرْسَلُ الْمَلَكُ فَيَنْفُخُ فِيهِ الرُّوحَ وَيُؤْمَرُ بِأَرْبَعِ كَلِمَاتٍ بِكَتْبِ رِزْقِهِ وَأَجَلِهِ وَعَمَلِهِ وَشَقِيٌّ وَسَعِيدٌ فَهُوَ الَّذِي لَا إِلَهَ غَيْرُهُ إِنَّ أَحَدَكُمْ لَيَعْمَلُ بِعَمَلِ أَهْلِ الْجَنَّةِ حَتَّى مَا يَكُونُ بَيْنَهُ وَبَيْنَهَا إِلَّا ذِرَاعٌ فَيَسْبِقُ عَلَيْهِ الْكِتَابُ فَيَعْمَلُ بِعَمَلِ أَهْلِ النَّارِ فَيَدْخُلُهَا وَإِنَّ أَحَدَكُمْ لَيَعْمَلُ بِعَمَلِ أَهْلِ النَّارِ حَتَّى مَا يَكُونُ بَيْنَهُ وَبَيْنَهَا إِلَّا ذِرَاعٌ فَيَسْبِقُ عَلَيْهِ الْكِتَابُ فَيَعْمَلُ بِعَمَلِ أَهْلِ الْجَنَّةِ فَيَدْخُلُهَا رواه البخاري in this hadith narrated by Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu, one of the famous companions, he says that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he narrated to us, and indeed he is a sadiq, the truthful one, al-masduq, the one who is believed and known as trustworthy and truthful. He said to us sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, inna ahadakum, that indeed one of you يُجْمَعُ خَلْقُهُ فِي بَطْنِ أُمِّهِ أَرْبَعِينَ يَوْمًا نُطْفَةً That indeed one of you is gathered in the womb of his mother for 40 days as a fluid. As the fluid. So when a person is first born, or rather before the birth, when a person is first conceived, then in the womb of the mother, that person, it begins from a fluid. And for 40 days, that will be in the womb of the mother, the first 40 days as a fluid. يُجْمَعُوا لِأَنَّ الْمَوْلُودَ يَتَكَوَّنُ مِنَ الْمَاءِينَ And the shaykh says, that is because as it's known, that the newborn is born from the two liquids, the liquid of the father and the liquid of the mother. And that is as Allah mentioned in the Qur'an, إِنَّا خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ مِن نُطْفَةٍ أَمْشَاجٍ That indeed we have created the humans from this fluid, this uh, drop of fluid, which is amshaj, i.e. mixed. Mixed between the liquid of the male and the liquid of the female, the liquid of the father and the liquid of the mother. Similarly, in one ayah it mentions 
يخرج من بين السلب والترائب in Surah Al-Tariq. And this again refers to the father and the mother. So the newborn is born from the liquid of the father and the liquid of the mother combining and coming together in the womb of the mother. So initially, the first 40 days, an individual is in a state of being that drop of liquid. It is a liquid type of uh, creation in its early stages for the first 40 days. ثُمَّ يَكُونُ عَلَقَةً مِثْلَ ذَلِكَ Then the Prophet ﷺ said, after those first initial 40 days, then an individual becomes a clot of blood. يَتَحَوَّلُ الْمَنِيُّ إِلَى دَمْ That the liquid, the semen, etc., that then changes over to becoming a piece of blood or a clot of blood. It becomes a clot of blood. And that then remains in that kind of state for another 40 days. This clot of blood then remains in the body for another 40 days in that manner. ثُمَّ يَكُونُ مُضْغَةً مِثْلَ ذَلِكَ Then after that, after the 80 days, the next 40 days it becomes in the shape of a piece of flesh. So slowly this baby begins to grow and it becomes from liquid to blood to flesh. So in the third set of 40 days, it becomes flesh and meat is now upon this entity that is growing now within the womb of the mother. So that altogether is 120 days. That is 120 days. In the final 40 days, the third set of 40 days from 80 to 120, that's when the meat begins to form, the muscles begin to form, the bones they form, and the shape of the embryo takes the appearance of a human. So that is 120 days that the baby is in that state of fluid into blood clot, into a morsel of flesh and bones, etc., then after that 120 days, the Prophet ﷺ says, يُرْسَلُ إِلَيْهِ الْمَلَكِ أو ثُمَّ يُرْسَلُ الْمَلَكِ Then the angel is sent to that embryo. The angel is sent to that baby that is growing now. ثُمَّ فِي الْأَرْبَعِينِ الرَّابِعَةِ تَمَامَ أَرْبَعِتِ أَشْهُرْ أَيْ مِئَ وَعِشْرِينَ يَوْمًا يُرْسَلُ إِلَيْهِ الْمَلَكُ الْمُوَكَّلُ بِالْأَجِنَّةِ فَيَدْخُلُ عَلَيْهِ فِي بَطْنِ أُمِّهِ So after 120 days, the angel then goes upon that child growing in the womb of his mother. The angel enters upon that child. ثُمَّ يَنْفُخُ فِيهِ الرُّوحِ And the angel then blows the soul into that child. After 120 days, that's when the angel is sent to blow the soul into that child. And with that soul comes life. Life is associated with that soul. When the soul it combines with the body, with the baby that is growing, then that's what brings movement to the baby. And that's what brings life to the baby. 
And the Sheikh says, Sheikh Al-Fawzan, وَقَدْ عَجَزَ الْبَشَرُ أَنْ يَعْلَمُ حَقِيقَةَ هَذِهِ الْرُوحِ People up until this day now, they have been unable to realize and recognize and establish and learn what the reality of the soul is. Up until now, they are unaware of what the reality of the soul is. فَهِيَ سِرٌ مِّنْ أَسْرَارِ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ so that soul, it is one of the secrets. One of the secrets that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not given us knowledge of. It's mentioned in the Qur'an, وَيَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ الرُّوحِ And they ask you about the soul. قُلِ الرُّوحُ مِنْ أَمْرِ رَبِّي Say that this soul, it is from the affair or the command of my Lord. وَمَا أُوتِيتُمْ مِنَ الْعِلْمِ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا And you have not been given from knowledge except a small amount. So this knowledge of the soul and how it is and how it connects to the body, then that is something that we are unaware of. فَلَا أَحَدَ يَعْلَمُ حَقِيقَةَ هَذِهِ الرُّوحِ So the shaykh says, nobody knows the reality of this soul. وَإِنَّمَا هُوَ شَيْءٌ يَأْتِ بِهِ الْمَلَكُ فَيَنْفُخُهُ فِي هَذَا الْجَنِينَ But it is something that the angel comes with and blows it into this uh, womb, into the, the, the baby that is growing. فَيَتَحَرَّكُ وَيَحْيَا بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلُ So then that baby begins to move and comes to life by the permission of Allah. فَإِذَا جَاءَ الْمَوْتُ خَرَجَتْ هَذِهِ الرُّوحِ And when death comes, that soul, it exits from the body. And that's what the definition of death is. The definition of death is مُفَارَقَةُ ruh lil jasad. In summary, it is the separation of the soul from the body. When the soul exits from the body, that final exiting upon this earth, then that is death. فَيَهْمَدُ الْجِسْمُ وَيَصِيرُ جُثَّةٌ so then the body can't do anything without the soul. Once the soul is removed and gone, the body becomes a corpse. So as long as the soul remains in the body, the body is alive. And if the soul leaves the body, then there are two things to remember. If the soul leaves the body, there are two types of instances. Where the soul leaves the body. When a person goes to sleep, the soul exits from the body. When a person goes to sleep, the soul leaves the body. And that is why it's known as the minor death. Sleep, sleep is known as the minor death. Because the soul exits from the body when an individual sleeps. And then it's mentioned in the hadith, that upon awakening, Allah will either give the permission for the soul to return so the person awakes, or perhaps that permission will not be granted, and the individual does not awaken, and he dies in his sleep. So that is the minor death. As for the other type, إِمَّا أَن تَخْرُجَ بِالْمَوْتُ وَهَذِهِ الْوَفَاتُ الْكُبْرَى That either the other type is, the soul will leave the body due to death. The soul exits from the body and departs from the body, not just sleeping, but death. And that is what's known as the major death. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said regarding that in the Qur'an, وَهُوَ الَّذِي يَتَوَفَّاكُمْ بِاللَّيْلِ وَيَعْلَمُ مَا جَرَحْتُمْ بِالنَّهَارِ ثُمَّ يَبْعَثُكُمْ فِيهِ 
In Surah Al-An'am, Allah said, He is the one who takes your souls at night. He is the one who takes your souls at night. وَيَعْلَمُ مَا جَرَحْتُمْ بِالنَّهَارِ And He knows that which you acquire during the day, that which you do during the day, ثُمَّ يَبْعَثُكُمْ فِيهِ Then He raises you up in it. So Allah mentions here, He is the one who takes your souls at night. Similarly, uh, it's mentioned, تَوَفَّتْهُ رُسُلُنَا In another ayah, it's mentioned that the angels, they cause death upon the individual, and that is when the soul is taken out for death. So the soul exits from the body in two ways. One is for sleep, and that is minor death. The soul comes back, or maybe it does not, and that will be the major death. Because the major death is when the soul exits from the body in terms of death. So the angel comes in any case and blows this soul into the baby uh, after the 120 days. And this is from the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One of the great signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the angel comes and blows the soul into the body. Allah mentioned in the Qur'an, وَلَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ مِنْ سُلَالَةٍ مِّنْ طِينَ that indeed we created the humans from an extract of clay. We created the humans from an extract of clay. That is Adam alayhi salam. ثُمَّ جَعَلْنَاهُ نُطْفَةً فِي قَرَارٍ مَكِينَ Then we made him a small seed in a firm resting place. A small seed in a firm resting place, i.e. within the womb of the mother. So these are the first 40 days that the individual is a seed, a fluid, in the womb of the mother. ثُمَّ خَلَقْنَا النُّطْفَةَ عَلَقَ Then Allah says we created that into a blood clot. فَخَلَقْنَا الْعَلَقَةَ مُضْغَ Then we created that into a morsel of meat. I.e. a piece of flesh and bones. فَخَلَقْنَا الْمُضْغَةَ عِظَامًا And then rather Allah says we created that into bones. فَكَسَوْنَا الْعِظَامَ الْأَحْمَاءَ And then we made upon those bones the meat, the flesh. ثُمَّ أَنْشَأْنَاهُ خَلْقًا آخَرٍ Then we grow him into a creation, a human. فَتَبَارَكَ اللَّهُ أَحْسَنُ الْخَالِقِينَ So, uh, the most blessed is Allah, the best of the creators. Tabarak Allah, in that form, it is only mentioned for Allah. So Allah has mentioned in the Qur'an that this person, the human, he grows up and he is created in different stages. Allah said in the Qur'an, وَقَدْ خَلَقَكُمْ أَطْوَارًا That Allah has created you in stages. I.e. those stages that occur within the womb of the mother. These stages are 40 days and 40 days and 40 days. And that is something mentioned in the Qur'an. يَخْلُقُكُمْ فِي بُطُونِ أُمَّهَاتِكُمْ He creates you in the wombs of your mothers. So then when the angel is sent to blow the soul into this individual, it is commanded with four affairs. The angel is then commanded with four affairs at that time. ثُمَّ بَعْدَ نَفْخِ الرُّوحِ فِيهِ يُؤْمَرُ الْمَلَكُ بِكَتْبِ أَرْبَعِ كَلِمَاتِ 
The angel is commanded to write down four things. يَكْتُبُ كِتَابَةً خَاصَةً بِهَذَا الْجَنِينَ The angel writes down affairs that are specific to this unborn child. Specific to this child that is growing. وَهُنَاكَ كِتَابَةٌ عَامَّ لِجَمِيعِ الْخَلْقِ And we know that everything is decreed in the لوح المحفوظ In the preserved tablet that we already spoke about. And this writing, this decree that is written for the child in the womb, then that is specific, but it is a part of the overall اللوح المحفوظ. So what are these four affairs that the angel is commanded to write down? To write down the provisions of that individual. The provisions, the sustenance, the rizq. That this person is going to have when he grows up. If he grows up, then that is all written down for that individual whilst he is still in the womb of the mother. فَلَا يَخْرُجُ الرِّزْقُ عَنْ هَذِهِ الْكِتَابَةِ So what is written for that child when he's still in the womb of the mother in terms of the sustenance, the rizq, then that individual will not have any more than that, nor any less than that. After that is what will be written for him and that's what he will have. لَيْسَ لِلْإِنسَانِ إِلَّا مَا كُتِبَ لَهُ A person will not have any sustenance less or more other than what is written for him. لَا يَأْخُذُ مِنَ الْعُمْرِ فِي الدُّنْيَا إِلَّا مَا كُتِبَ لَهُ مِنَ الْعُمَرِ And similarly, also what's written down is أَجَلِهِ The first thing is the sustenance, the provisions, the rizq. That's written down. What will this person have when he grows up or she grows up or if... That occurs. Then what will that person have? And nobody else can steal your rizq. Uh, your rizq has been written down and it's been prescribed. And nobody else can take your sustenance or provisions. The second thing that is written down is your lifespan. Whilst the person is still in the womb, a child still in the womb, and the lifespan of that individual is already written down. وَلَا يَعْمَلُ شَيْئًا مِنْ خَيْرٍ أَوْ شَرٍ إِلَّا بِمُوجَبِ مَا كُتِبَ عَلَيْهِ وَهُوَ مُيَسَّرٌ لَهُ فَلَا يَكُونُ شَقِيًّا أَوْ سَعِيدًا إِلَّا بِحَسَبِ مَا كُتِبَ لَهُ فِي اللَّوْحِ الْمَحْفُوظِ وَفِي بَطْنِ أُمَّهِ Similarly, what's written down is the actions of that person. How will this person behave during his lifetime? What will he do in terms of his actions, the good, the bad? And therefore, what will be the end result for that person? in terms of paradise or hell, then those affairs, they are written down, whilst the individual is in the womb. The sustenance, the lifespan, his actions, and then the end result of where he will be, happy or sad, from the people of paradise or from the people of hell. So these are the four affairs that are written down, for every person whilst they are still in the wombs of their mothers. هذا قلم القضاء والقدر يجري على العباد and this is the decree that occurs upon the slaves the decree that Allah writes down for every individual and that's written down in the preserved tablet this is the decree for the people قدر لكل أحد من الشقاوة والسعادة ما يكون العبد سببا فيه Every individual has written down for him the goodness, 
the happiness rather, or the sadness that he may be in, in accordance to the actions that he behaves with. An individual who behaves with righteousness and piety and goodness, then that is the individual who can expect the happiness. As for an individual who behaves with a lack of piety and disobedience, and wrongdoing and transgression and oppression, then that individual can expect the sorrow. So all of that will be in accordance to the actions an individual does. And the shaykh says now, فَإِنْ فَعَلَ الْخَيْرِ يَسَّرَهُ اللَّهُ لِلْخَيْرِ If a person does goodness, then Allah makes it easy for that person to be upon goodness. وَإِنْ فَعَلَ الشَّرِ يَسَّرَهُ اللَّهُ لِلْشَرِ And if that person does wrong and disobedience, Allah makes it easy for him to continue upon that wrong and disobedience. Now that's mentioned in the Qur'an, uh, ayat regarding that affair. So then that's where we understand that these actions that we do, we have a choice in doing them. The decree is that we have a choice in doing those actions, but Allah is aware of our choices, and therefore it's written down for us where we will end up, but it is us who makes those choices in what we do in terms of obeying or disobeying. So then the Prophet ﷺ said, فَوَالَّذِي نَفْسِ بِيَدِهِ By him whose hand my soul is in. I.e. the Prophet ﷺ takes an oath by Allah. He takes an oath by Allah. إِنَّ أَحَدَكُمْ لَيَعْمَلُ بِعَمَلِ أَهْلِ الْجَنَّةِ حَتَّى مَا يَكُونُ بَيْنَهُ وَبَيْنَهَا إِلَّا ذِرَاعَ That one of you... You will act like the people of paradise. Maybe somebody does all types of good deeds and obedience and righteousness, and you behave in the manner that the people of paradise behave, in terms of those who are going to end up in paradise upon righteousness and goodness, and uh, the obedience to Allah. And that is as Allah mentioned, inna akramakum indallahi atqakum. That the most honorable of you amongst Allah are the ones who are the most pious. The ones who are the most pious, they are the ones who have the honor with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So here the Prophet says, maybe one of you behaves in that rightful way, upon obedience and righteousness and taqwa and good doing, until there is barely anything left between you and paradise other than a handspan. A person has been upon goodness and righteousness, and done all of that which he needs to do in terms of the good deeds. And there is nothing between him and paradise other than a handspan. But then, the decree overcomes that individual. That individual then chooses to disobey. After having done all of this obedience, he may come across a time in his life where this individual then begins to disobey, and the individual begins to transgress, and the individual begins to oppress. And that occurs, the Prophet ﷺ says, until he ends up doing the actions that are suitable to the people of the fire. فَيَعْمَلُ بِعَمَلِ أَهْلِ النَّارِ فَيَدْخُلُهَا So in the end, he actually ends up in the hellfire. Maybe a person does goodness and righteousness, but then towards some point, something occurs to him, and he is overcome to the extent that he abandons his obedience and instead falls into disobedience and wronging and transgression. 
and starts to behave like the people of the hellfire to the extent that he ends up in the hellfire. So he himself then chose to do wrongdoing. And that's why it is upon a believer always to ask Allah to keep him firm upon the practicing of the Qur'an and the Sunnah, upon the obedience. يَا مُقَلِّبَ الْقُلُوبِ ثَبِّتْ قَلْبِ عَلَى دِينِكَ مُقَلِّبَ الْقُلُوبِ Meaning the one who changes the hearts of the people. Keep my heart firm upon your religion. This is a dua that you make. That oh Allah, the one who changes the hearts of the people, keep my heart firm upon your religion. Keep my heart firm upon practicing the Qur'an and the Sunnah, upon the methodology of the Salaf of this Ummah. And that's why Allah said, يُثَبِّتُ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِالْقَوْلِ الثَّابِتِ فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ That Allah makes firm those who believe, those who have iman in this world and in the hereafter with a firm speech. So an individual who wishes to be upon that firmness and to remain upon that guidance, then upon him is to have that iman and have the righteous actions and have the sincerity and persist upon that way and make dua to Allah, that Allah keeps him persistent upon that way, keeps him firm upon that way, and that his heart does not go away from that. As we mentioned prior to this, إِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِاللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ ثُمَّ لَمْ يَرْتَابُوا That indeed the believers are those, the ones of iman, are those who have iman in Allah and His Messenger, then they do not have any doubts. So do not be from those who have doubts, but be upon certainty in this religion. Certainty upon the religion, certainty in practicing the Qur'an and the Sunnah, and asking Allah to keep you firm upon that way. Then the Prophet ﷺ mentioned also, وَإِنَّ أَحَدَكُمْ لَيَعْمَلُ بِعَمَلِ أَهْلِ النَّارِ And similarly, maybe an individual spends his life upon disobedience and evil and committing all types of sins, just like the people of hellfire who end up there would do. حَتَّى مَا يَكُونُ بَيْنَهُ وَبَيْنَهَا إِلَّا ذِرَاعٍ until there is barely anything left between him and the hellfire other than a handspan. But then the decree overwhelms and something changes in him and he chooses to leave that transgression and wrongdoing. He chooses to leave all of that sinning and his heart is opened up to practicing the religion and behaving with obedience to Allah so that individual even though he may have been upon all of that wrongdoing and transgression and oppression, when he changes his ways to the obedience of Allah and he repents from his previous sins, then that individual, he ends up in the paradise. And there are examples mentioned similar to this in the sunnah. There is the example, the famous hadith known as Hadithul Bitaqa, the hadith of the individual who came with 99 scrolls of evil deeds. 99 scrolls full of evil deeds on that day will be said to him, do you have anything good? He will say, I have nothing, but then it will be said to him, rather, you do have something and you will not be oppressed on this day. One scroll will be brought out, and upon that one scroll will be, La ilaha illallah. So he was an individual who died upon Tawheed, and as a consequence, that will outweigh all of the other sins. So an individual, no matter what sins he has committed, no matter what disobedience he has committed, he should not lose hope 
in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ever. Rather he repents and he returns back to Allah, makes the tawbah, seeks forgiveness. Allah said in the Qur'an, قُلْ يَا عِبَادِيَ الَّذِينَ أَسْرَفُوا عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ لَا تَقْنَطُوا مِنْ رَحْمَةِ اللَّهِ Say, O oh my servants, those who have transgressed upon themselves, do not be despondent from the mercy of Allah. Do not be sad thinking you can never have mercy and you can never be forgiven. If you have committed sins, you have done wrongdoing, then return to Allah and seek forgiveness. And that is the sign of a believer that if he makes an error, he is hasty to return back to Allah to seek forgiveness. And in fact, the Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab rahimahullah ta'ala said, it is one of the signs of happiness for a servant. One of the signs of happiness. That when he makes a mistake, and note that we all make mistakes. كُلُّ بَنِي آدَمْ all of the people make sins and the best of those are the ones who repent. Ya ibadi innakum tukhti'una bil nahar. Allah said you will make mistakes night and day. But the ones who are eager to return back to Allah and repent from them, they are the ones who are truly upon iman. So here an individual, he may make errors, he may make sins, he may be upon wrongdoing, he may even be upon shirk. But the person he repents from all of that, and he returns to Allah and he seeks forgiveness, then here in the hadith it is mentioned, an example of that, that maybe somebody is upon disobedience to the extent, that it would be considered he is from the people of the fire, until he does something good and changes his ways, and he ends up as from the people of the paradise. And this therefore indicates, that the end conclusion, that's something of vital importance. If a person was to be upon practicing the religion all his life, but then in the last few moments of his life, he went on to shirk, then he would be held accountable for the shirk he died upon. And if an individual was upon shirk all of his life, but then in the last few moments of his life, he bears testification that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah, and he believes and he accepts that tawheed, then that individual will be from the people of paradise. Whether initially or later, he will be from the people of paradise. So an individual needs to look after himself in terms of making dua, to remain firm upon the religion, and not to uh, stray away from that. So the shaykh says, that which is important is that which a person dies upon. أَنَّ الْمُعْتَبَرُ مَا يَمُوتُ عَلَيْهِ الْإِنسَانِ مِنْ خَيْرِ أَوْ شَرْ What's important is what a person dies upon. You might do something all your life, but at the end of your life, if you change and do something else, that's what's going to count. If you're upon shirk all your life, but you accept Islam at the end, that's what counts. If you're upon Islam all your life, but become a mushrik at the end, that's what's going to count. So what counts is what ends upon a person. So the shaykh says here, فَلَوْ أَنَّهُ أَفْنَى عُمَرَهُ بِالطَّاعَةٌ ثُمَّ ارْتَدَّ فِي آخِرِ حَيَاتِهِ إِلَى الْكُفْرِ صَارَ مِنْ أَهْلِ النَّارِ if a person spends all of his life upon obedience, but then he apostates at the end of his life, he's going to be from the people of the fire. Or if an individual does something which necessitates he needs to enter the fire, then he may be entered into the fire initially and then exited thereafter. Similarly, if an individual, the shaykh says, Afna al-abdu umarahu bil-kufar, he lives all of his life upon kufar and disobedience and shirk, thumma manna Allahu alayhi bit-tawbah indam naut, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestows him, blesses him 
to repent at the end of his life. قَبْلَ أَن تُغَرْغِرَ رُوحُهُ دَخَلَ الْجَنَّةِ Before the soul exits to the neck, as, Allah, as the hadith says, يَقْبَلُ اللَّهُ, يقبل الله تَوْبَةَ الْعَبْدِ مَا لَمْ يُغَرْغِرْ That Allah accepts the repentance of a person as long as the soul does not exit, as long as it does not get to the neck where it is about to exit. So if an individual is upon kufr, but then he repented at the end of his lifetime, that would be sufficient for him to then eventually enter paradise, or initially. That's why it's befitting and needed for a Muslim to always make dua, to have a good ending. And nobody should ever be deceived by his obedience, thinking I'm obedient, I'm this, I'm that, I'm upon worship, I'm safe. Nobody should think in that way, rather they should always ask Allah and make dua to keep them firm and to give them a good ending. وَعَلَى هَذَا لَا يُحْكَمُ عَلَى إِنسَانٍ أَنَّهُ مِنْ أَهْلِ النَّارِ أَوْ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْجَنَّةِ بِمُوجَبِ عَمَالِهِ إِلَّا مَا شَهِدَ لَهُ رَسُولَ سَلَّمْ لَأَنَّ هَذَا رَاجِعٌ إِلَى عِلْمِ اللَّهِ وَإِلَى الْخَوَاتِيمِ الَّتِي يَمُوتُ عَلِيهَا الْإِنسَانِ وَالْخَوَاتِيمُ لَا يَعْلَمُهَا إِلَّا اللَّهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى That's why it's not permissible for us or not correct for us to declare certain people to be upon uh, the people of paradise or for certain people to be people of hellfire. We can't give those rulings out upon people in that way uh, because that is dependent upon uh, firstly, for the people of paradise, there are certain companions that Prophet told us they are from the people of paradise. So we testify they are from the people of paradise. But generally, otherwise, we can't say this person, he was righteous, he must be from paradise, or that one, or that one. We don't make rulings like that. Or somebody, he was so sinful, he must be from the people of hellfire. We don't make rulings like that. Somebody who dies upon clear, open kufr, that's known. But otherwise, it's not possible for us to declare who are people of paradise and who are people of hellfire, for us to make the judgments upon people. That will be upon their end actions and what they die upon. And uh, 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 the ones who we can declare to be from the people of paradise, they are the ones whom the Prophet ﷺ informed us of. That is a brief explanation of that hadith, and that is what the Shaykh mentions regarding this particular narration about how a person is born and about how a person does his actions. And those actions are what a person will be held accountable upon. And the final actions that a person dies upon, that's what the individual will then be held accountable upon on that day. The next hadith, which will begin next week, is the hadith regarding innovation. We know that innovation in this religion is impermissible. Innovation, bringing about new practices, bringing about new types of worship, those types of things in the religion of Islam are not allowed. So next week, inshallah, we'll go through this topic of innovation, and why innovation is not permissible in the religion, and what the basis of the religion is, and what the pillars are that are required for an individual to do his worship upon, so that his worship does not go outside of the legislated bounds into innovation. So that will be next week, insha'Allah, at the same time at 7.30 p.m. sharp. If there are any questions now, we can take them, insha'Allah. The sisters have anything, they can pass it through on papers. Do you know with regards to title masjid, is this something which is compulsory that we have to do, or is it a sunnah? Is what, sorry? Is it compulsory, is it part of us to do this, or is it a sunnah? To do what? Um, title masjid, two rakats before you sit down in the masjid.
تحيط المسجد. Yeah, the many of the scholars they say because the hadith says إذا دخل أحدكم المسجد فلا يجلس حتى يصلي ركعتين. If somebody enters the mosque, when you enter the mosque, then do not sit until you pray two raka'at. So an individual, he should pray those two raka'at before he sits. He shouldn't make that a matter of choice. He should pray those. Many of the scholars, some of them are of the opinion that it's absolute obligation. That you must pray those before sitting down. And some of them say it's sunnah mu'akkada, etc. But the reality is when that hadith comes in that way, do not sit until you pray two raka'at. To the extent even the times that are prohibited to pray. Some of the scholars, they take the opinion even in the prohibited times, you're allowed to pray that. If you go just near sunset or just after sunrise to the masjid, normally it's prohibited to pray at that time. But some of the scholars said, this tahiyatul masjid and other prayers of this nature, even then you can pray them for the importance of it. So really, that's not something people should become slacking. When you go to the masjid, pray to raka'at and then sit down. Shaykh Muhammad bin Salih I think it was who was asked about that maybe somebody goes in and he's just going to stand around the Shaykh says it's not really befitting it's not really suitable to do that to go into the masjid and stand around there may be 10 minutes left before the prayer 5 minutes left before the prayer enough time for you to sit and pray sit down and calmly wait for the imam to come rather than standing up and hanging around the Shaykh said it's not befitting it's not suitable if you go in and there's enough time there's 5, 10 minutes left then pray and sit down and relax and be calm in the masjid Rather than standing on the walls and the sides, the scholars say it's not befitting to do that. So if you go in, just pray and sit down. So worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What does it take? Two raka'at, a few minutes. And what are you going to do otherwise? Stand just talking to your friend for 10 minutes whilst the imam comes. Pray two raka'at, sit down, read some Quran. It's better for a person he behaves in accordance with the sunnah. Otherwise that 10 minutes is stood there waiting with your friend is wasted. Or rather the reward is uh, less. Now, if you read the Sunnah prayers for one of the prayers, Dhuhr or whatever it is, you make your intention for the Sunnah prayer and that covers you for the Tahiyatul Masjid. If you pray, you make your intention and praying the Sunnah for the Dhuhr. You pray a Sunnah for the Dhuhr, that's you sit down now. After the Sunnah, you don't have to get up and say, okay, now I have to pray the Tahiyatul Masjid as well. When you any prayer, when you walk into the masjid, any prayer you pray that covers you for tahiyatul masjid. Imagine now you come in just at the time when the iqamah is being done. They're about to pray uh, whatever dhuhr. You come in just when the iqamah is done. So as soon as you come in, Allah Akbar, you start. And then the imam finishes. You haven't prayed tahiyatul masjid. Does that mean you have to get up after the prayer and pray so you can sit down again? It doesn't. You've prayed. As long as you prayed a prayer as you came in, whether it was with the specific intention tahiyatul masjid or one of the other prayers. You've prayed a prayer now as you came in. So now after that you can sit down. The sunnah of the prayers, they cover you for the tahiyat al-masjid. If you start praying, uh, tahiyat al-masjid and then the iqama goes. And there's a hadith about it that there is no other prayer when the obligatory prayer uh, starts. You can't be praying sunnah when the obligatory prayer is on. The scholars, they say, Sheikh Muhammad bin Salih al he mentioned, if you're in your first raka'ah, you've just started, and all of a sudden the iqamah goes, you didn't realize, you thought you had time, and the iqamah goes. You've only just started your prayer, you're in your first raka'ah. You're going to take ages before you finish it, at least a few minutes. They might even go past the ruku' and into sujood. You might end up missing a raka'ah. 
In that case, you break the prayer. You break it and you start with the fard, you join with them. But imagine you've prayed one raka'ah, you're in your second raka'ah. You're, you're, you're about to finish. You've done your raku' even, maybe you're down sitting in your, your last sitting. In your final sitting, you're about to give the salam and there's only a little bit left. So the scholars say in that case, you can just finish it. There's hardly anything left, you're almost about to finish anyway. Finish it, and then you can get up and join with the imam, you're not going to miss any of the prayer. So some of the scholars say you can do that in those kind of situations. When you know it's going to take a while yet, you can't finish, then break it and join. But if you know you can finish now and you're not really going to miss anything, iqam has just started now, you, you, you'll just about catch it, then finish your prayer and join with them. Yeah, they said it is a majority of my Hanafis. Huh? What they do at Fajr time, especially when they go to the mosque, at Fajr time, uh, just before the, the Salat begins, the, hmm. you know, if the Salat begins, they still read the Sunnahs, two Sunnahs before. No, it's a mistake. They should do if that if they, if that happens. They come into the masjid, and the fard prayer has started. Then they should join that and pray the sunnah afterwards. Not that you pray a sunnah and you start missing the fard prayer and you miss a rakah or something. That's not correct. You join with the fard prayer with the congregation and pray a sunnah afterwards if you haven't prayed yet. When? Where? Uh, so when he's moving to... between the parts? Yeah, say oh, you say it too, you say it too. You say that too. Ah. Yeah. Mm. Can we read certain du'as from the fortress of the Muslim in the sujood? What is the best manner of doing du'a? So can we read certain du'as from the fortress of the Muslim in sujood? Hasn al-Muslim. It's permissible. In the prostration, you make dua. You make dua in the prostration, make dua. That's one of the times to make dua. So if you've memorized some duas from the fortress of the Muslim, and those duas, they are, if they are the duas that are mentioned in the sunnah, they are uh, authentic duas, etc., then it's good to do that. That's even better. It's good to read authentic duas from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ that we were taught by the Prophet ﷺ. Read those duas and make dua with them. Even ayats from the Qur'an, normally it's not allowed to recite them in prayer. You can't recite the Qur'an. But ayats from the Qur'an which are du'as, you can recite them even. Because you are intending by it the du'a. You're not intending recitation of the Qur'an. So all of those types of du'as in the, in the prayer, you should make those du'a for yourself and whatever else the affair is. What's the best way of making du'a? Du'a, there's lots of mannerisms mentioned about du'a. There's times when you make the du'a. The Friday, one hour on the Friday, the last third of the night between the Adhan and the Iqamah. There's lots of things that are mentioned about the dua and the times to make the dua. When a person is traveling, when a person is ill, that increases the uh, answering of the dua. And similarly, the manner in which you do it, then again, uh, there are certain things mentioned, even raising of the hands. It's mentioned by Shaykh Fawzan and others, raising the hands in making dua is one of the characteristics of the dua to be answered. But these types of uh, affairs, you probably find more detail uh, specifically on those research papers regarding the dua and all of the different things you can do. Uh, there are books printed on it, full volumes and full books regarding the mannerisms of dua. But in fact, we're going to come to some hadith in Arba'in Anawi about dua. There are going to be some hadith which come later on, inshallah, regarding the issue of dua, how to make the dua, what to do, some of the characteristics of the dua of the people who it's answered for, and some of the characteristics of the people who it's not answered for. That's going to come in a hadith too, insha'Allah.
This one about the witter will come back to inshallah with the fatawa of the scholars. So we'll conclude upon that, unless there's anything else. Joining the rows and keeping them together, that's something good to do it throughout the prayer. It's mentioned uh, some hadith about uh, the gaps in the prayer and how uh, some of the deficiencies mentioned regarding that. So that, that joining of the feet and keeping everyone together in the row and not having big gaps in between, that should be maintained, attempt to maintain that throughout the prayer. Mm. So we'll conclude then, next week at 7.30, inshallah.